Hey, we love Burger King grilled dogs. They're made with 100% beef, and they're 100%. Mm. They're so good, they make us want to sing like... I can't believe it. Burger King made a grilled dog. Made with 100% beef. Flame grilled anytime you want. This July 4th weekend, put down the tongs, step away from the grill, and get to Burger King to try a grilled dog for just a dollar. Ask for the dollar grilled dog deal and get a classic grilled dog for a dollar. Only at Burger King. At participating restaurants on July 2nd and 3rd, limit five per transaction while supplies last. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I'm Daniel LaRue, your host, and so happy to have you with us. This episode is another continuation of the Eliminated series. It focuses on the Los Angeles Lakers, a team that I have particular interest in just because of their unique situation this summer. So I have on Darius Soriano. He writes for Forum Blue and Gold, and we talk about a lot of different issues with the Lakers. The balancing act between wanting to be good during the remainder of Kobe's career with building a foundation for the future, how their dynamics have changed with the Clippers and a potential Clippers sale, what they should do in the draft, and a lot of other topics. It was a ton of fun to talk to him. The conversation runs about 38 minutes, and yeah, we get into a lot of different things, and the Lakers are a team that have different questions and different answers than most franchises, and I think that Darius got a really good sense of what that means and how the Lakers work and also you know the uncertainty that they have just in terms of the perception of their ownership and we get into that a little bit I think as he mentions that's a whole another segment if we ever wanted to do it so it was a pleasure having him on and I think that it's interesting for both Lakers fans and non-Lakers fans because their situation is just so distinct in a league that has a lot of distinct situations and it was a, a great time having him on well thank you so much for coming on yeah, thanks for having me. One of the things that I find most interesting about this Lakers team is just how little is set in stone with them, both from a, a really a short-term perspective and a long-term perspective. And I wanted to start with what pieces that were on the team this year you would be most supportive of being around next year and then moving forward. You know, that's that's something I've thought about a fair amount because, I mean, there's only – three players, I think, that are under contract for next year, Kobe and Nash and then Robert Sacre, and then the team has a team option on Kendall Marshall, and I think that he'll be back next year. I think Mitch Kupchak has spoke. He said nice things about Marshall, so I think that they probably see him as a piece to bring back and try to continue to develop. So outside of those four, you know, I think they could go in a variety of directions, I think Jordan Hill is a player who, if he could be had at a reasonable price, that he's the type of player that helps you win will win games. I'm not sure if he's a starter or kind of a first big man off off of the bench, but I'd like to see him back. I could see even Nick Young or Jody Meeks back as well. You know, I think that their numbers were a bit inflated from Mike D'Antoni's system, but they both to me, Meeks plays hard. 
and he really seems like a gym rat and seems like he wants to get better and has buy-in to his role. Young's a guy who I know that he can be frustrating in all the long jumpers and the sometimes lack of passing, but I really think that he enjoyed playing for the Lakers and he is a guy that kind of enjoys playing in, in L.A. in front of his hometown fans. And so those three guys specifically, I, I could support bringing any of them back, again, if the price is right. I could also see supporting, you know, Xavier Henry or even Kent Bazemore as well. You know, these are young players who are athletic, who have defensive potential, who have shown that they could – contribute in a certain style of play. I think that they could continue to develop and be, you know, seventh, eighth, or ninth players on on a reasonably good good team. I also think that they'll come cheap, which I think is important for the Lakers as well next year. As you mentioned, price point is probably the determining factor in terms of all of those players. I think a lot of them, if, they, if they're willing to come for a relatively inexpensive price, like almost all of them did last year, that's going to be a big factor. The other guy in terms of the continuing roster that I'm intrigued by in terms of your opinion being closer to it is, are there any expectations yet in terms of what, what if anything, Steve Nash can contribute next year? I don't think so. You know, he's been pretty upfront about – the team really not being able to rely on him. Maybe that's just him trying to set expectations and keep that bar low so that if he can come in next year and play, you know, 15 to 20 minutes a game and, and maybe play, you know, 60 to 65 games, that would look like a success. And I think that that would be a success. But, you know, the way that his injury continued to flare up this year and how he was in, in and out of the lineup, I honestly – don't think the team should be looking at it from the perspective of, well, we should we should really rely on Nash and think of him as a contributing player. Which, you know, going back to to your last question, it brings up a good a good point about maybe Jordan Farmar is also a guy that they should look to bring back, just because he's a contributing player and he plays a position of need. If the Lakers go into next season and their point guards are Kendall Marshall and Steve Nash, I think they're going to be in trouble. Yeah, and and the other part of that is that we've learned both from the Lakers and from a lot of other teams that having somebody who can reliably run the offense on the floor all 48 minutes a game is incredibly important, especially it really even wherever your team is on the spectrum, it's really good to have somebody who can do that because otherwise not only is your team probably not going to do very well, but it also is a less engaging experience for the fans. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I would say, too, that point guard is probably the deepest position in, in the league. Most teams' starter is at least a league average player. And some teams like the Thunder, for example, have, have Westbrook, who's arguably a top ten player, and then Reggie Jackson, who is a player who's definitely coming into his own and could probably be a starter on half the teams in, in the league. So I think that to be successful in – in the NBA now, you really need a capable point guard who can at least, you know, run an offense, initiate a team set, and, and even if you're looking at a team like, like the Heat, for example, who the ball is in LeBron's hands a lot or in Dwayne Wade's hands a lot, you know, when Chalmers plays well or when Norris Cole plays well, they're a much 
better team. And you're seeing that now in the finals, for example, with Cole and especially Chalmers not, not playing well at all, how much of a difference it is with Tony Parker and Patty Mills really, really are playing well. And that leads pretty well into what I think is the biggest question for this offseason for the Lakers, and that's how do you reconcile the desire to do well in what are presumably the last couple of years of Kobe Bryant with making the team in the right position to be a successful team down the line? You know, I think that for any team, teams who are quote-unquote rebuilding I think it's always important to try to put your best foot forward and always try to put a winning product on well, on the floor. And I think that's especially true for, well, for the Lakers, especially since their draft pick situation is so muddied with the picks that they gave up in the Steve Nash trade and then the pick that they'll still owe Orlando at some point after they give up the picks that they owe to Phoenix for Steve Nash. And, and so next year, for example, the Lakers pick is only pro- top five protected, but if it falls outside of the top five, they're going to surrender it. So if they duplicate this season next year and they end up with the seventh pick or end up in the sixth slot, unless they jump up into the top three, that pick is going to go to Phoenix. And so I think that it's in their best interest to try to win as many games as they can. Now, does that mean that they will they should push for the playoffs? Sure. I'm, I mean, that would be the goal to maybe sneak in as an eighth seed or, or a seventh seed. But even if they win, you know, anywhere from 38 to, to 42 games, right, if, if they're in that 500 area, I think that – that should be considered good for them, especially since they're going to want to draw free agents, and free agents aren't going to want to go to a team that just won 25 games or 27 games, even if it is the Lakers. So Kevin Love, for example, is a name that pops up all of the time. Well, Kevin Love's a free agent next year. Well, if you listen to Kevin Love talk right now, he's talking about leaving Minnesota, and the first thing that he mentions is it's his – seventh year and he hasn't been to the playoffs yet or it's his sixth year and he hasn't been to to the playoffs yet does he want to go to a situation that's very much similar to the one that he's leaving in minnesota to play for a lakers team that maybe only won 30 games i think that they need to try to push and assemble the best team that they can and and that's going to involve a lot of things. It's going to mean drafting well. It's going to mean getting a lot out of value-free agents. It's going to mean relatively good health for Kobe and potentially Steve, well, Steve Nash. And that's a lot of this, but they need to try to put that together. The other factor in that, and you talked about this well in terms of the idea of pick protection, that the Lakers pick is protected for the top five, is that you also have to protect because getting in that if there's a possibility, and we saw it this year with Cleveland, that if you're, let's say, in the fifth spot, that you get jumped, and then even though you had one of those worst records and you have the, the fan depression and the player depression that comes with that, that you still lose your pick. So the other factor in that is, realistically, can a largely healthy Lakers team even be, let's say, one of the four worst teams in the league, considering how bad the bottom might be next year? Yeah, I think that that's an excellent point, and I think that that's one of the things that proponents of kind of a tanking Lakers team don't really bring up is that, you know, maybe this year was was one of the years where the draft was viewed as, as such a talent-rich 
more rich draft that there were teams who were more um, likely to maybe see this as, well, let's rebuild this year and maybe let's strip down our roster because if we end up in those top three to five picks, then we'll get a really good player. But that's not true every year, so maybe next year would be a little bit different. But still, there's going to be teams every season who are in that 20 to 25 win range. And that's realistically where the Lakers would need to be in order to kind of threaten to get into that top five. And I just don't see how a team with, you know, a relatively healthy Kobe Bryant, even if he is diminished, and the Lakers do have a fair amount of money to spend, and they're going to try to spend that money on players, even if it's on one-year contracts, who are capable players who can fill the star starting lineup and who can fill support roles from, well, from the bench and are you really going to lose 60 games with a team like that? I don't see it. Things, things would need to go horrifically wrong again, essentially, for the second straight season. And, I mean, if you count the Dwight Howard season, maybe, maybe the third straight season, considering all of the injuries that team faced as well. Yeah, and I think the other part that you brought in that, that I think is the other way that you reconcile this is through short-term contracts, because the Lakers have a huge advantage, especially with the Clippers pretty hamstrung in terms of the cap, though obviously we'll see how willing they are to go into the luxury tax if the ownership situation resolves in time. But the Lakers have a huge benefit that they reap this year of a ton of players who are from the area who are willing to take a short-term pay cut to play for whether it's their hometown team or at least a high-profile team that was close to home. And that gives them a resource of people who would be willing to do that, and they're going to have the minutes to make that interesting for people. So they're providing a different pitch for players than, say, you know, somebody who's looking for, you know, maybe seven or eight million. You're giving them a, the idea to make good and get a, become a free agent in a, in a 2015 class that it looks like, especially if LeBron James opts in, is going to be one that a lot of teams want to have money available so they could do that to have an opportunity the next year to make a t more money than they're leaving aside this year. Oh, I definitely agree with that. I think that, and I think that the semi-big one-year contract is a carrot that the Lakers will try to dangle in front of multiple players to see if they can get them to sign on for that one season, earn a nice paycheck while still protecting their financial flexibility head heading into the summer of 2015. And if you look at this last season, the Lakers were on national TV for, I mean, what? roughly half their games, and next season we'll see if that dips to a lower number, but they're guaranteed to be on national TV in that 15 to 20 game range, There's, and, and I'm just talking there with TNT and ABC games. They'll also end up on, NB, on NBA TV a fair amount of times as well, and, and, and so when you play for the Lakers, there is going to be a certain amount of exposure um, and that you may not get from another sort of middling team who is in their position right now. I guarantee that the Lakers will have more national TV games next year than, say, the Pelicans, for example, who are going into next season a better team, have younger players who are going to be very good players in this league, especially uh, 
Anthony Davis, but the Lakers will probably double them in terms of national TV appearances. And these are the types of things that they can sort of sell to free agents, even if it's just a one-year deal. You know, like, look, we can sort of help me help you type of deal where, look, even if you're not here in, in a season or in two seasons, we can give you some exposure and you help us win, we'll win some games. Yeah, I definitely see that, and I would go farther in terms of the national television thing. I wouldn't be surprised if they have more national TV games, counting it the way that you did, which is the way I count it with um, ABC and TNT. I wouldn't be surprised in the least if they had more national games than at least two Western Conference playoff teams, which sounds ridiculous when you think about just the difference in team quality last season, but it's L.A., and even though the Clippers made the playoffs last year and there just aren't that many teams in the Pacific time zone that they'll, they feel comfortable giving games to. And the Lakers will always be in that comfort zone for them, regardless of the quality of the expectation beforehand. Well, I think as long as Kobe Bryant is on the roster, there's that draw. You, you know, even going into this past season, he was a draw simply because of the injury uncertainty. And going into next season, it will be the same thing. You don't sell it from the standpoint of, you know, I'm not a marketing person by any means, but you wouldn't sell sell it from the standpoint of he's Kobe Bryant, watch Dominic Kobe Bryant come back and 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 be one of the top players in well in the league, you're selling it as the intrigue of of how much does he have left and can he return to form and that in itself is a pitch to be able to watch them on national TV. People are going to want to tune in to see what he has left. A lot of it will turn on how the market shakes out because it will probably be players that are later on in the process that are looking. But are there any guys that you think are interesting targets for those one-year contracts? You know, I would, for, one-year, for one-year contracts, I would think that they might look internally. I don't know if they could sell Pal Gasol on a one-year contract, but would he come back for one year at – say $10 million or $12 million if that's what it took to bring him back and the Lakers really didn't see any other viable options on the market to spend that money on. Could they get Jordan Hill to come back for one year if it's in that 5 to $6 million range, if there's not a team out there that's willing to offer him the full mid-level exception? Or Nick Young, for example, he played on – a veteran's minimum contract, and he clearly outplayed that. But would he come back and play for double that maybe, you know, $3.5 million or $4 million? The thing is is that the Lakers are going to have this money to spend, and, and they're going to have to spend it on someone. And I honestly do believe that they're still going to try to protect the 2015 cap space so that they can make a run at a major free agent, whether it's a guy like LeBron because he opted in or whether it's, Kevin Love, if he doesn't sign an extension with whatever team he gets trade traded to, because I do believe that he will be trade traded, and it's doubtful that he will sign that extension because it's not in his financial best interest to well, to do that. So the Lakers could could easily target players in well internally, but would they be able to maybe snare a Luol Deng for a fair amount of money on on a one year contract? That seems doubtful to me because I would imagine that Dang would want a three- or a four-year deal. But just as you said, as the market shakes itself out, players will be left, and the Lakers will be in a prime position to strike if they haven't you know, already signed players to big contracts that kind of take up their cap space. 
Yeah, so that makes a ton of sense. Uh, we'll move on to the draft, and I was wondering, so the Lakers, as you said, have a high pick, first time in a while. Are there players that you think are a particularly strong fit, and what do you think about the idea of them potentially trading the pick for a more established player? I prefer that they keep the pick unless there's a great deal for an all-star caliber player who is under contract for multiple years. I don't see a need to trade the pick for someone, for example, like Kevin Love, who would be a free agent next summer and who the Lakers could potentially try to snare in in free agency. You know, just one point on that is that I see the Lakers as needing to utilize all of their assets. And so right now I see that their assets are essentially cap space and this number seven draft pick. I don't see the need to trade both of those essentially for a high salaried player right now if that player could be had in free agency next summer. So that specifically speaks to Kev, Kevin Love, but it could be any player, you know, not named LeBron. I don't think you're getting LeBron for the number seven pick. Um, I don't think you're getting him for five number seven picks. So getting back to, to the draft, the Lakers are so barren in terms of talent right now, and they have needs at every single position. I can make an argument for any of the top eight players in the, in the draft to be good fits and to be players who could come in and make an impact with the team next year. So, you know, whether that's a guard like Dante Exum or, or Marcus Smart, or whether it's, it's a big man like, well, like Randall or kind of, you know, um, a hybrid forward like Gordon, any of those guys I think could come in and be a really good player for the Lakers next year and earn a substantial role and play, you know, 20 to 30 minutes a night and, and have an impact because they just don't have enough good players right now. I think you hit on two really important things there that, that go in concert together. And I think I, I wrote when there was the murmuring that the Lakers would try to trade for Kevin Love, I said, that's stupid because the assets that you would give up to get him are the assets that you will need to retain him because he's not going to stay if they don't have those, that talent. And obviously getting him will make their own pick worse in the future. So you're losing that kind of asset. And they're, those are the type of players that he'll want to play with. And the other part of that is that the Lakers are maybe of any team that I can think of in, in recent times, the most classic example of just taking the best player available because when you have basically nothing set in stone, you just take the best player and see how it works out. And so if they feel like that's Aaron Gordon, then that's great. If, they, if somebody is shockingly false them, I doubt it's going to be Dante Exum, but let's just say it is, then you can do something with that. And hopefully they work out. You never know. It's the draft. But the Lakers have that. Do you have anybody in the lower part of the draft, let's say maybe they, they buy a late first or somebody in the second, that when you've been watching that you've thought, oh, that would be a really nice fit for this team? You know, I don't. I honestly think that they could go in a lot of different directions in terms of – I honestly do think that they will try to get into the late first round or early second round because they don't have a second round pick this year. It's going to – I'm not sure where it's going to tell, tell you the truth. I was going to say that it's going to Phoenix, but it may be routed to someone else as part of, you know, the way that, that all the trades work. But there's not any other specific target that's in that part of the draft that I think – that I have have my eye on, you know, there have been not rumors or anything, but there have been ideas that I've seen, you know, on Twitter and posted at my site, like in the comment section about the Lakers potentially trading down out of number seven and trying to accumulate multiple picks in the first round, you know, maybe trade down 
to number 10 where Philly is or um, and pick up, you know, a pick in that 10 to 12 range and then another pick in, in that 20 range. And then if they're in that area, they could go in a variety of different directions as well. You know, maybe look at Zach Levine, for example, from UCLA, who they worked out about a week and a half ago and, um, you know, wowed a lot of people with, with his athleticism. The thing I was going to say about the Lakers as well is is that, you know, we've talked a lot about this idea of winning now versus building towards towards the future, and the Lakers need both, really. And so if they could, make, they could potentially gamble on a player if they were to trade down in that 12 to 15 range like a Levine who – maybe isn't ready to contribute in year one. And if they do pick up a later first, maybe grab one of those more seasoned college players who could come in and, and earn a role and then develop that younger player to be a contributor in two years or three years and be a long-tenured player. Because, as I said earlier, they just don't have enough talent right now to say, oh, well, we should target a specific guy. They, they need it all. Yeah, they do, and because this kind of thing is amusing to me, the Lakers pick is held by Milwaukee because it was traded three times in one calendar year. So it was moved. I'm not going to go through all the moves. You can check them on Real GM's site. But it's amazing to see how that kind of thing can happen. But the Lakers, as you said, they're in that really interesting place because they can go near-term, they can go long-term. Ideally, you want a guy who can do both, but obviously those guys are hard to come by, even in a, a very good draft like this one is. And the question, another question that I've been asking everybody, and it might be too hard to even answer for the Lakers, is when do you think they're going to be peaking in the sense of, it's the idea that I phrased as is the timetable contention, but if you're a Lakers fan, just realistically, let's say, when do you think that this team is going to be quote-unquote back? Oh, man. I could see it maybe, maybe the 2015 season. So basically the last year of Kobe's extension where the Lakers potentially have Kobe back a year removed from, well, two years removed from the Achilles and one year removed from the injury setback that he had mid-year this year. And then with the potential of grabbing a good free agent in the, the summer of 2015, as well as having their draft pick into his second year, I don't think that they'd be all the way back in terms of, oh, well, they're contending for a championship, but but back within the sense that they're considered a playoff team and maybe a team that could make, make some noise and get out of the first round. In terms of contending for, you know, a Western Conference championship or, the, or competing for the title, I'm not sure. Three years, four years, uh, what I think – this year show is showing us now is that you either need a player of LeBron's caliber, you know, one of the top, you know, anywhere, one of the top three to five players in the entire league as like an anchor for your roster, or you need this great team that has, you know, I don't think you can say enough superlatives about the Spurs, but just excellent teamwork that plays together and with discipline and with complete buy-in, and that takes a long time to build. And so I think you need one of those models. And so if the Lakers can't get their hands on one of the elite players in 
well, in the league right now, you know, you're talking about one of the top three to five players, so that's a LeBron or a Kevin Durant or maybe, you know, a Russell Westbrook, a player of that cal- caliber to anchor your roster, then it could be it could be five years. It could be longer. You know, you really do need one of those guys. And right now the path to get one of them is sort of hoping that maybe Kevin Durant shakes free in the summer of 2016, which just happens to be the same year that Kobe's contract expires. So maybe they get that player then, but if they don't, it's going to be a while. It really is. That logic that you used there is exactly why I was so intrigued and surprised that no team went super hard and got Kevin Ollie because the relationship between Ollie and Durant has been discussed in a few circles. They played together. And as you said, those guys are really hard to get. And in the case of Durant, they're really hard to shake free. And it would have been interesting to see somebody make that kind of a play. Also, I think Ollie's going to be a very good coach. Two or three years out, out of the way because, you know, anything that helps you get a guy like that, I, I feel like in some ways it's, it's a, a risk worth taking. Well, I think that what you're also talk, talking about with a guy like Ollie is the value of coaching and kind of what the face of a franchise from the front office and, and, and coaching side can do for an organization. And, I mean, really that's at this point a sore spot for the Lakers and their fans, I think, is kind of the whole – downward spiral that they've seen since Phil Jackson left and with the Mike Brown hire and then the Mike D'Antoni hiring and then Phil Jackson making his way to New York and then you see him bring on a guy like Derek Fisher who for a lot of Lakers fans you know Fisher holds a soft spot with them I know he does for me and just kind of how you build an organization that can really kind of plant that flag that draws people in. The Lakers have that brand recognition and they have the history on their side in terms of that. But, but right now, I think if you were to ask around the league, a lot of people would have serious questions about Jim Buss's leadership or even, you know, the Jim Buss and Jeannie Buss dynamic and, and how they're going to actually build their name back up in terms of they'll always be, be the Lakers, but they're, but they're seen as clearly not being as good as their father at this point, which, which is both fair and unfair, but, and that's you know, a whole other segment, right? But that's where they're at right now. And, so, and we're seeing it right now, too, with their coaching search, which you know, they're kind of looking at these retread coaches and aren't really willing to make a gamble and maybe chase a guy like Kevin Ollie or chase a guy like Derek Fisher who doesn't have NBA experience but could maybe be a guy that grows with the team and and becomes the face of the franchise the way that Phil Jackson was for them. And the other thing that I wanted to ask you as somebody who's followed the Lakers for a long time is how do you feel that all of the insanity surrounding the Clippers has affected the Lakers both kind of in the immediate and looking more broadly forward now that it looks like the team is going to be sold. I think the more chaos with the Clippers is probably better for for the Lakers. As much uncertainty as there can be, it makes the Lakers seem even more of a destination than maybe the Clippers are. As far as L.A., L.A. I think will always be a Lakers town. They just got such a head start in terms of success 
and and such long-term success that that kind of builds itself on generation on generation, and and you've got three, four, five generations of people who grew up essentially watching the Lakers be a great team, and and that's not going to go away, and suddenly it's going to be a Clippers town because they've got Chris Paul and Blake Griffin who are fantastic players, and just because they're they're a contending team now to to win the championship, but. Well, moving forward, I think we'll see how the ownership dynamic, if this sale goes through and it is Ballmer and and he kind of establishes himself as the type of owner who can kind of build a a solid foundation and, and build on what they already have in place, I think that it'll be bad for the Lakers in the short term and then potentially in the long term term as well. But but I'm a but I'm also a big believer in talent winning you games and then winning essentially establishing the culture that brings others into the fold that makes you want to be part of that team. So the Clippers were seen as a contender, so they're the team that can grab these these kind of ring-chasing veterans who want to play for a winner and compete for, for a title. But in three years, if – the Clippers haven't won anything, and the Lakers somehow land themselves one of those difference makers players that we discussed earlier, then that dynamic could totally shift back to the Lakers' favor, and then they're still the Lakers, and they've got a top player, and they're contending for a championship, and they've got all that history behind them as well. And and, and so I still think it will be more about what the Lakers do, not necessarily if the Clippers can keep their foot on the Lakers' throat, per se. The other thing that I've thought a lot about as somebody who kind of thinks in a national perspective on these sort of things is that there's a distinct possibility that in probably 2016, depending on what the Knicks do, that the Lakers could walk into that offseason as the only major market that has cap space. And I feel like that would be a huge competitive advantage because even if the Lakers' cachet is a little bit weakened from what it from its peak, which even I think the most optimistic people would say it's at least a little bit diminished. That is a huge advantage in terms of wooing free agents, whether that's Duran or somebody else. I'm very intrigued by the possibility of them separating from all of these other teams, some of which are in very strong markets, but just having that, hey, you can play in L.A., you can play in a medium-medium market, and nobody else can offer that. Yeah, I, I think that the Lakers brand and the city of Los Angeles, when you combine those, well, those two – that the team will always be a draw to a free agent. You know, we'll see if the cards break in their way, though. With, and what I mean is that when they actually do have money to spend, if there are good enough players to kind of invest in at that point, which I think is really, that's really the coup that Miami was able to pull, right, is that they happen to plan in a way where all those free agents that they thought, you know, in LeBron and Bosch and then Wade was in-house, that they were able to manipulate their cap in a way that allowed them to chase those guys. And I think the Lakers have done something similar with having Kobe's contract end in the summer of 2016 when Durant is a free agent because – you know, Durant is going to be a target um, unless he signs an extension with the Thunder, which is possible. But if he does not, they're going to throw all their chips his way 
to try to bring him in. And, and any team will who has max cap space that season. You know, you talked about the major markets, but if the Cavs had max cap space, they'd make their run at Durant too. You know, he's that no-brainer player who you want to anchor your team. But I think you're 100% right. If the Knicks spend their money in the next season um, and try to lock up, you know, not only Carmelo, but, you know, try to build um, a core around him, then it will just be the Lakers. Would you in some ways see that as the best-case scenario for the Lakers in kind of that broader sense? Yeah, I think letting Kobe, you know, walk into the sunset, playing out his contract, playing 20 years with, with the franchise, and, and, and hopefully being a competitive team, and then turning over the keys to maybe another youngish superstar-level player like Durant, that would be ideal. I, I mean, unless you can – find a way to get LeBron in the next year or two, which I think is obviously, I think that would be the number one goal. But, but I mean, I don't see LeBron leaving Miami. I don't know about you. I don't see him leaving Miami unless it's a slam dunk better situation. You know, it would take something similar to what brought him to Miami for me to do it. But the other question I had, and this is might be the hardest question I've asked anybody in this series, is what do you think the Lakers should do if at the end of his current contract, Kobe says, I'm not ready to retire. So let me preface this with a bunch of ifs. So you propose if Kobe says he's not ready to retire. Well, if Kobe's still playing at a level that shows that he can still be a contributing player to a very good team in well, in the league, and I'm not saying, you know, like a really good team's best player, but I'm just saying a, like a good player on – a team who can win, you know, in the 45 to 52 win range, right? Then you offer him a contract that is on par with his production and not on par with what you think he can, with his name recognition, right? Similar to the deals that Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan have taken late in their careers, you know. This last contract that Kobe got was definitely as much about business as it was about production and probably more about business than it was about production, considering the question marks surrounding his injuries. And I don't fault the Lakers for that necessarily. At the time, I wrote that what they did is make their jobs a lot harder, harder in terms of being able to build a championship team. But I also think that if he's not ready to retire after this current con contract expires, then they need to offer him – you know, a market value contract, a contract that somebody else would, would be willing to pay him, which, you know, I could spec speculate, but that would probably be any, you know, in like that 8 to $10 million dollar range, not in the 18 to $22 million dollar range, which is, you know, a step down from what he's making now, but is going to be a big step up than what, he, than what he's going to bring in terms of on-court production at that stage of his career. Absolutely. Are there any other topics that you want to discuss and that you think Lakers fans might want to hear? Not really. I think that the team has so many question marks right now that I think we'll have a much better idea about where this team can go after the draft and after they've hired a coach. And then once we start to see who they're targeting in free agency and what types of deals they're really trying to make. I honestly do believe that there's a path back to be a good team in the next, well, before Kobe's current contract expires. I think there is a path to get there. 
it's just that a lot of things need to go right for them. And considering how the last two years have gone, that seems far-fetched right now, that suddenly all the luck would then break their way after they've had so much bad luck in terms of injuries and Dwight Howard leaving with no compensation and all of that. But but there is a path back. It's 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 just going to take a lot of things going right. And, and we'll see if this front office has it in them to acquire the right players and, and if they could just have some luck in terms of some injuries and, and guys recovering to be a semblance of what they once were. Yeah, I, I think there's a path back. And as somebody who's been a California sports fan my whole life, I feel like if any team was going to do that and was going to have it turn around, it feels just from historical perspective like it would be the Lakers. Yeah, well, you know, as someone who's biased, here's hoping. Well, thank you so much for taking time. It was great to have you on. Thanks, Danny. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Darius Soriano for coming on. You can read him at forumblueandgold.com, and you can also follow him on Twitter at forumbluegold. That's F-O-R-U-M-B-L-U-E-G-O-L-D. The Lakers are a really interesting team to follow this offseason because while it's possible that they don't make any major moves, they're a very important team league-wide to read the tea leaves and see what they're thinking because even if they're in a little bit of a, a down cycle, they're always a threat for the high-level free agents, and as you've heard on this podcast, and as you know from your own experience, the high-end players are the ones that often determine the championships and where the league is going, and the Lakers are always a threat for that, especially when the Clippers and the Nets and possibly the Knicks are taking themselves out of that mix by spending a lot of money. So it was a lot of fun to have him on. I will continue the Eliminated series over the next few weeks, hoping to also do some draft and free agency material as well. We'll see what I can get in terms of guests. But I appreciate any and all insight, whether that be guest suggestions or other ways to make the show better. You can send them to me on Twitter, at Daniel LaRue, that's D-A-N-N-Y-L-E-R-O-U-X, or you can email me at daniel.laroux at realgm.com. Thank you so much for listening. Take care, and make it a great day. you don't go to geico.com car insurance can seem intense like breakup r&b intense i thought you said you love a sweater that i got you if you didn't you could have told me geico makes it easy just go to geico.com anytime to update or check your policy without all the extra drama i even had a gift from 